0: Welcome to the Anti-Diet Life Podcast. I'm your host, Leah Horton, your go-to anti-diet health coach and certified intuitive eating counselor. Get ready to give diet culture the middle finger and dive into conversations about intuitive eating, body acceptance, self-love, and what it really means to pursue health at any size. We're all about taking a weight-neutral approach to health one that prioritizes your overall well-being over the number on the scale. So we're here to arm you with the tools that you need to dodge the toxic diet mentality and never get sucked back into it. Let's explore what it truly means to live the anti-diet life. For more tools and community support, join the Anti-Diet Health Club at www.antidiethealthclub.com. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Anti-Diet Life. I am Leah, your host, certified intuitive eating counselor. And today we have a guest, Janice Eisman, is joining us. And she is a movement specialist and has a movement therapy studio in Calgary. So if you're in Calgary, you're going to want to pay extra special attention and get all her info. But today we are going to be talking about movement and working on healing your relationship with movement. So if you're like me where you've got a history of dieting, I think most of us do, exercise was something that I used almost exclusively for weight management purposes. Like I knew it was good for me to be doing stuff, but really if we peel back all of the bullshit at the end of the day, it was about getting down to a certain size. And part of healing my relationship with food and my body image and all of that was taking a really good look at my relationship to exercise and um, getting to where I'm moving my body for the sake of movement and because it actually makes my body feel good. So I'm so excited to have you here. Janice, tell us a little bit about you and what got you here.
1: Well, my story is a little bit similar to yours, but we're going to tack on the front end of my life that I was not athletic. So like a lot of people, athleticism is kind of part of childhood and especially those junior and senior high school years. So it becomes part of people's core identity. It's partly how they gain popularity. It's how they get accolades. And then we have gym class. (laughs) So if you're not kind of coming from that as I wasn't, it it built a lot of story in my head about who I was, what my body was, how other people perceived me, what my capacities were. And I emerged from that period of my life feeling like something was wrong with my body, something was wrong with me. I was always the last picked for everything and like legitimately Rightfully so, because even to this day, if you, you know, despite what I do for a living, if you throw a ball at me, I'm probably not going to catch it. It'll probably land somewhere behind me. But I ended up kind of with that pit in my stomach, just even thinking about volleyball or basketball. I'm like, oh, you know, I'm already like looking for the excuse note to get out of class that day, et cetera. So, you know, I already from a very young age, I really associated a lot of exercise with Formalized sports with not being cool, with not being popular, with not being picked. I wasn't ever kind of a person who was granted that classic 16 year old body. So it's a little bit overweight and then that just spun that narrative really tightly into I'm not athletic. Something's wrong with me. My body's different and I hate all of it. And so step one for me was getting a little bit older and going away to college and and finding some other things that weren't actually team sports. They weren't being graded in phys ed classes. There was no teachers. And it felt like a bit of freedom, but it really quickly stopped feeling like freedom it started being a bit of a mechanism where I could achieve and I could achieve something that I hadn't ever been able to achieve. So none of those people in college knew me from high school. So they didn't know that I was klutzy and picked last and all of the things. So I could create this new story for myself around my body. And I think where I, where I really landed and I mean, it took, it took some years to get there, but exercise is a component of life where we can track the crap out of it. <laughs> so we've got calories burned. We've got distance that you've stepped. We've got pacing. We've got the the time that you've done it. We've got number of days that you've done it. We've got intensity. and And then that can really build into a bit of an addiction. It can build into something where you literally won't exercise unless you're tracking or measuring it. I used to wear a heart rate monitor, try to get into the zone um, and then stay there for a certain amount of time. And I and I loved that piece of it um, because it meant to me that I was succeeding. I was making progress. I was optimizing something. I was getting better. And it helped me at the time, I thought, kind of shed all of that I'm not athletic, something's wrong with me. I can't play team sports. I'm not popular. I'm not cool. I'm not all of these other things. And so for a period of my life it really filled the gaps that had been built early in my life around around exercise and then it became negative. So it became you know I I remember not that long ago a uh, my mental health doctor said, you know, is there, is there exercise that you like to do just for fun? Like, would you just go outside for a walk? And I'm like, well, you know, only if it's 45 minutes or only if it's, because it's just so ingrained to me. Like we have to track the steps. We have to, something has to be counted. Otherwise it doesn't count. And so that actually, you know, I, I you'll notice that I said recently, so despite all of the work that I have done, that really has kind of stuck around longer than I ever imagined that it would because I've done so much work to get rid of diet culture and to, um, to become a trauma-sensitive instructor and to really reshape my language and reshape all of my practices. But even for me, exercise can still drag into that area because it's just so ingrained that you have to track and
0: count. And there's so many different ways you can track and count things. Yeah, I love your story. Like even bring, I didn't even ever think about bringing it all the way back to like growing up. I was, I was athletic <laughs> and I was ah. the team sports and not always by my choice. Like, it was something that my parents, like, really, really pushed on us growing up. And I'm thankful. Like, I, it's good for other reasons besides just athleticism. I don't know why that's such a hard word. But what happened for me is after the structure of team sports and, like, scheduled practices and like programs. And then I was doing, um, ROTC, so like military training. So we had like set, you know, metrics that we had to pass and we had, you know, scheduled PT sessions. After all of that disappeared, I felt so lost. Like I had no idea what to do with myself without somebody telling me what I should be doing for movement and the pendulum definitely swung the other way where I like just didn't exercise for a while because it was like oh okay I don't have to yay like I don't have to wake up at five o'clock in the morning to go to PT and do all of this but when I finally like after a period of inactivity and now like starting to have some concerns about my health gaining some weight and wanting to to start shedding those pounds i took it into that like i love the word that you used like achievement like that was my goal i if you look at my history with exercise Post college, it was very much focused on the numbers and the metrics and achieving a weight loss goal. Or I got into running because I loved all the numbers and I started doing like half marathons. I did CrossFit because I loved like the PRs and like the competition piece of it. And that definitely pushed me into that over exercising realm where I would exercise through injury I would definitely I was not taking rest days right and like I was abusing my body because I was exercising so much and to this day even though I'm like years removed from that and have been doing a lot of work in my relationship with exercise I still find myself looking for that achievement and like how can I track things and what are my goals without it getting crazy and one of the things I came up with I'm actually kind of proud of myself like One of the things I came up with for this year is just a consistency goal. Like, it's not about how much I'm doing or what, not even really what I'm doing, though I do want you to make sure I'm getting some strength training and some, you know, cross training and walking, like a variety of things. It has become more about, are you moving your body on a regular basis? Period. That's it. That's like the only thing that is quote unquote counting for me now. And it is so freeing. It really, really is to not have to be obsessed with all of the numbers all the time. And what it has allowed me to do is really focus on listening to my body and like being like, okay, what sounds good today? Like, how does my body want to move today? Do I want to do yoga or do I want to hop on the bike or do I want to, you know, and I have more feedback from my body versus when you're so fixated on just the achievement, just the metrics, I totally shut down listening to my body entirely.
1: Yes, 100%. I think we have we have layers of inputs in our lives throughout our lives that actually encourage us to not listen to our body. So part of that actually often does start with sports when we are younger. So a lot of people are in sports or they have their children in sports. And there are a lot of really great components to being in sports that are outside of just the body movement part of it but I think that what can happen and what I noticed because I have a child so when he started being the age where I would take him to things like birthday parties what I noticed was all of the kids were doing the thing and all of the parents were sitting and I was like okay wait this is a thing where kids are supposed to do the stuff and then there isn't really even modeling for what that looks like when you're an adult because your own parents don't do it. So I was the parent who would, you know, if the kids were at the trampoline park, I would be like, all right, let's get on the trampoline park. And and I would go skating or I would do whatever it was because the idea of my child having no adult vision for how that carries forward And so I actually looked up statistics for how many adults do team sports and it's, it's quite low and the sports actually change as well. And they change depending on which gender you are. But, you know, I live in Canada and many, many, many young boys do hockey and, and there is tremendous attrition on that. And I'm by no means suggesting that we shouldn't put our children into sports, but we want to start by looking at that relationship of what were we taught as a kid and I think that probably what I shared is is going to be more common than not that sports were a pathway for achievement, for acknowledgement, for connection, for friendships, for comp- like competition, whether you can win something, and the metrics actually started to matter. And who in your life did you have role modeling, movement, and exercise? Did you have a parent who was actually active? with you? Did you have a parent who was active at all? And when we look at the statistics for adults in our various countries, there's a high chance that many of us listening did not have an active parent just because of how statistics work, because most North American adults are not getting enough movement, let alone exercise. So I think we have to kind of start there with what messaging did we get taught what is our connection to exercise? What is our story with exercise? And what are are our beliefs? Because if we believe that the only way that we can achieve things is through exercise, that's going to be a hard one to kind of shed all of the the concepts around it. If you are like me and you're like, I'm going to overcome this, you know, terrible self-image that I have as a kid. Well, you know, I had to work. I, I was wanting to work really hard to prove that that stuff wasn't true to people who weren't even there. And that temptation still kind of seeps in because I still have those pieces of me that are 14 years old. So I'm going to show everybody (laughs) they don't care, (laughs) you know, but recognizing that that exists within me is actually super important. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, I even think and about that, like putting all of your, you know, your self-worth and everything contingent on your body is, um, you know, setting you up for failure. You know, I even think about like I've had chronic hip issues and multiple hip surgeries and like have to heal. And they're like phys- things I physically cannot do. But if my entire worth was set on my achievements and my physical things I could do with my body, I would be a disaster (laughs) going through like everything that I have been through. But when you have your worth tied to other things, like who you are as a person and what you contribute to the world, like you're just, it's such a a better place to be. I think that it's so simple, but one of the things that really started to make the shift for me out of having kind of this toxic relationship with exercise was actually just stopping to use the word exercise and to shift to just movement. And like all movement counts, like even, you know, doing chores around the house, having a dance party in the kitchen, like walking the dog, like literally however I'm moving my body counts. Yes. And in the past few years, I've actually used
1: the title movement specialist for quite some time. But in the past few years, I've started to become really cognizant of the difference between movement and exercise. So exercise is what many of us will do starting on January 1st with the New Year's resolution. We will join a gym. We will subscribe to a YouTube channel. We will enlist the services of a personal trainer. And in our culture, we've decided that these blocks of time are an hour. So it's typically a one-hour practice in whatever discipline it is, whether it's personal training or a body pump class or CrossFit or whatever it is, um, which PS is very arbitrary. There's nothing in human biology that says that an hour is where it's at. <laughs> that's just kind of a made up component that, that a lot of people look to almost as if it's gospel. Um, so that's kind of what we, th- what we would call exercise. So where we set aside a chunk of time to do a formalized program with someone else, or it could be on our own using maybe a program in our living room. Movement, however, is completely different. So movement is, um, anything that you do to move your body. So if you wiggle your toes, that's movement. If you lift your arm to take a drink out of your coffee cup, that's movement. And, It sounds like a ridiculous thing to say because I know everybody is aware of what movement is. However, the moment that we kind of try to start to deconstruct diet culture, we can get really uncomfortable with the idea of not quote-unquote exercising. And that movement is actually really what our body biologically needs. So my grandma is 101 years old. And if we track backwards to her youthful life she rode a horse to school at school the kids had to do chores so the teachers and and adults at the school weren't doing everything in the school so the kids had to stable the horses they had to help maintain the school there wasn't caretakers and caregivers like we have now the nearest neighbors lived a kilometer which is about a half a mile from from their house. So if she wanted to socialize, she had to walk there. At no point was my grandma ever like, you know, I I need to get my exercise. It was just movement to go do something. So it was movement to get on the horse to go to school. It was movement to walk down the road to see the neighbors. It was movement to wash the clothing, which was absolutely not a washing machine. It was movement to empty the chamber pots. It was movement to wash the walls and Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, in the last hundred years, we've basically had to introduce exercise into humans so that we can not be completely sedentary all the time because everything now is mechanized. So my child, not even a hundred years later, until last year, had to walk down five flights of stairs get in the car and get dropped off at the front door of the school where the school was fully contained for him. He didn't have to clean the school. He didn't have to stable horses. He didn't have to help wipe the desks. He didn't have to clean the slates or empty anything. And at home, you know, we have a dishwasher, we have a flushing toilet, we have blankets, we have a heater, et cetera. So, you know, he really doesn't have to do very much that's actual physical. So, whereas not that long ago in history, everything was kind of physical. Now, almost nothing is. So it really exercised as we know it, really kind of started to take off in the 80s, which again is not that long ago. So when you look at the history of gyms, they didn't exist in all of humanity until about the 1950s, the way that we know them. Like obviously there was, you know, the Olympics and things predated it. But the root of them is really the bodybuilding culture from California. And then that became... um something that became the chain gym. And then we got all over teacher trainings. And then of course everybody's familiar with the 1980s aerobics. And then things kind of started to really accumulate in speed and intensity. But you know, in the 1970s, women were not allowed to run marathons, etc. So we don't have to go that far back in history. And there was no exercise. So the idea of exercise is new. And I took that time to kind of explain that because I think when we get that in our head, it's really helpful to be like, oh, this is completely a construct of modern society. This did not exist a 100 years ago. It didn't even exist as we know it today, 50 years ago. It didn't even exist as we know it today, 30 years ago. So we have in... We've taken in all of these concepts that exercise has to be tracked and measured and counted and it has to be at this certain heart rate capacity and we have to wear monitors and we have to, you know, it's in an hour. And if you were to tell that to somebody in 1920, they would look at you like you were absolutely crazy because there was so much physical labor going on around you just to live your life and acquire your food and to clean your clothes and to get places that it would have been absolutely ludicrous to try to burn calories or to waste energy in this ridiculous way. So it's all made up. It's all made up. And what we really need to do is, is think about how we can get more movement into our lives. And I'm not suggesting that we need to get rid of our cell phones or that we need to throw our washing machines away. But we need to think like, can I be slightly less efficient at doing this? Can I get some unintentional movement? Can I channel some of my ancestors and walk somewhere? Can I, what I, what I actually started to do is to be inefficient with my time where like, if I'm going to go to the post office, I could drive there. It's going to take five minutes or I could walk there and it's going to take 15 minutes so I can get a walk in. I can be outside and I can go to the post office and it's maybe not as quote unquote efficient, but it allows me to get some movement into my day. And it's I'm not tracking it. I'm not measuring it. I'm not looking at my heart rate. I'm not like, oh, it, it didn't take an hour. I'm not counting it. I just try to be a little bit less efficient and try to do things that are a little bit more connected to my community, my natural environment, things like that. So really separating that idea that if we're not exercising, it doesn't count is super important because exercise is a, is a completely modern invention that is got all these rules and tools that we made up. Mm -hmm. They have nothing to do with biology.
0: Yeah. And it makes sense that, you know, like our lifestyles have completely changed and we are a lot more sedentary. And so there does need to be more intention around getting in that movement and doing things like strength building, but like from the lens of like, I want to age well and I want to function well in my life. Like I want to be able to carry all the groceries in, in one, one trip. Right. Um, or I don't want to have to ask my husband to help me like get something or, you know, from that perspective, like, and I strength train for my 80 year old body, not like my body today. It's because there's, there's evidence that, by incorporating regular strength training, you're there's there's so many good things that are happening in your body and increasing bone density and all of this stuff. It's like that's why I'm doing it, not so I can, you know, hit a new PR or beat Jane at the workout of the day.
1: Yes, and to be clear, I'm not suggesting that you absolutely don't exercise, but I think if your if your brain is turning all exercise into disorder, then actually possibly that could be the case. So if you are unable to exercise without tracking, measuring, counting, or doing what I used to do, which is exercising and then deciding what of that did and didn't count, <laughs> um, then I think maybe take a little breakup moment from exercise and just focus on on movement and and understanding what feels good in your body. If you're somebody who's able to do that, then yes, absolutely. There are, there are benefits to, I do myself, I do yoga every day. And so, you know, I'm not, I'm, and I, and I teach exercise techniques at my studio. So I'm not anti-exercise technique. But I think that it's it's where are you at in that spectrum of disordered thinking around it, especially when it comes to weight control and management. So there is evidence that shows that unintentional movement is actually more effective than intentional movement at that. So what that really means is you can't out-exercise being sedentary.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if somebody is coming from a history of their relationship with exercise being exclusively aesthetic related, whether it's weight loss or weight maintenance, or even like changing their physique in some way, shape or form. Where do you suggest them starting with shifting that to be goals that are more related to like functional movement? And I know you also do a lot around like chronic pain and, and those kinds of things, but How do you get people to start thinking about their exercise goals, I guess, in a different way?
1: So I think that it's about adding a technique where you have to have a mind body element to it. So I like yin yoga for that reason, because there there are many, 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 many different kinds of yoga. So I don't have a blanket recommendation on yoga because I think some techniques can actually reinforce the idea that you know one day you could get to this posture and you can make this class more challenging and you can add heat to it and you know there's there's that that pyramid of of chase with yin yoga you're laying on the floor holding a posture for three to five minutes And once you find the posture where you feel a sensation in a specific target area, you hold it and you don't move. So there is no striving. There's no increasing the intensity. There's nowhere to go. You can't kind of shift or add a prop to make it, quote unquote, harder. And then your mind has to settle into, where do I feel this? What am I feeling? And then things can can kind of come up at the same time. So you may be really uncomfortable. You might be anxious. You might feel like when I first did it, I wanted to, like I had severe separation anxiety for my phone. Because I was like, some things on there that I can't see right now. And I really need to I need to and so that was that was one of my techniques for my myself and my own body to add. So instead of saying I'm not gonna run or I'm not gonna lift weights or I'm not gonna do any of this other stuff. It's like, how can we actually add a technique where we have to have some mind-body element to it? Mm. I've been a Pilates instructor for 17 years. I think that's another good technique, although it is quite precise. And so that can be very appealing for that type A person. But Pilates is functional movement. So it's about it's about putting your body in these very precise kind of movements. So if yin yoga is too far of a stretch, then... I'm kind of a fan of, of Pilates as well. But you're going to want to position yourself somewhere in that mind-body world. Um, and then there are, you know, these days there's now instructors that have training. Um, there's, there's a bunch of different ones out there. but uh, And so I'm not going to speak to ones I'm not familiar with. But I am a trauma-sensitive yoga Facilitators. So really where what we do in that work is we work on languaging movement. So we're offering choice and we're stepping away from a lot of the cueing that would be coercive, which a lot of a lot of fitness techniques really are. You know, there's this kind of implication that you're not disciplined or that you there's some shame elements to it in terms of calling out certain body parts that have to look a certain way for certain things or certain special occasions that are coming up. So in trauma-sensitive yoga, the languaging is really a key piece of it. So perhaps even just finding an instructor who has a trauma-informed lens, for example, that could be helpful too. So just shifting formalized exercise programs to programs with more choice, with more functional Components with a little bit of mindfulness components that and for me, just in my own body, this is a process that has taken 17 years. So this isn't something that needs to happen overnight. I think one step, one shift, one movement towards this is is where you want to be. It's not something, and I can tell you right now, if you had taken me 17 years ago and plunked me into, into right now, I would have been dramatically uncomfortable. I would have been like, no, this is no, this is not happening. So I think we need to take the step that actually feels comfortable. So, and that may not look like a complete dropping of, of some of these tools and measuring and the counting and the, and the, and the kind of constant optimization of the body or you may not be able to stop yourself from counting your calories or things like that. So just looking at it, I mean the way that I do change now is I do one thing and I do it for three months and I see if it feels okay and if I can incorporate it and then I do another thing. And then you know you you add even in the course of a year, you're now talking about several changes, several positive habits that you might be able to develop. So I actually do the same thing that you do, which is I look for consistency. So again, in our culture, we say, well, you do certain programs and you do them a certain number of days a week, and then you have your quote-unquote rest days. And I'm like, okay, my body is actually meant to move from a biological standpoint every day. It doesn't, like, in reality, the calendar... And the year and the days of the week, that's all, you know, we've, we as a human society have constructed that, that isn't part of my biology. So my biology actually needs to do some movement every day. So I do something every day and it doesn't mean that I'm like going to my anaerobic capacity every day. I don't, but that was a big thing for me as well. Just to be like, it's Saturday. I'm going to go outside today. I'm going to spend time outside today. And as soon as you're outside, you're probably walking or riding your bike or you know, being with a friend or volunteering or whatever it is that you're doing outside and your body's getting some movement. And so moving towards that idea where we don't have quote unquote rest days. You know, you don't rest from brushing your teeth on Sundays either. Right. So it's like, so that for me was another big shift where it was like, there wasn't on days and off days. There wasn't on the wagon and off the wagon. There was going outside and getting some sun and moving my body and, and just being really consistent and that it's not a quote, unquote program. There's not 21 days. There's no start. There's no stop. There's no, there's no measuring. There's no counting. It's, and that the seasons change and the things I do change, but that consistency piece that you brought up earlier,
0: I think that's a really big piece of it as well and not to confuse consistency with perfection, right? Yes. It, it does, I know that's what my brain used to do is like, Oh, I'm being consistent. It means like, and so I'm a Peloton user. And so they have like the streak, you know, where you get like a little blue dot for every day that you do movement. And I hate it. <laughs> I like wish that it, that it didn't exist because people will end up like just going through the motions and like, and doing things just for the sake of doing them, just to get the blue dot, instead of like taking that time to listen to like, what does my body need right now? Does it need just to go on a walk outside without Peloton tracking it? <laughs> does it mean doing yin yoga, which Peloton does have, which I I absolutely love. Um, but it it doesn't mean that you have to have your movement look a certain way, for it to be a certain length of time, for it to count yes yes so
1: i think that moving anywhere on the spectrum of adding movement to your life that's not formalized exercise is going to be a positive shift if there was one shift that i was going to quote unquote recommend it would be to go outside because as soon as we're outside there probably is movement that's happening but we're connecting with nature and there's lots and lots and lots of different things that you can do outside. Um, but I would recommend to the best that you can to be outside without earbuds on mm-hmm. because again, we can kind of get into the well, I'm gonna I'm gonna run to the end of this song. I'm gonna oh that one didn't count. I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna run for four songs and if you don't make it, that it doesn't count. So you want to kind of connect with yourself and that might be for two minutes and that's okay. That's perfect that's awesome. So, you know, I, I kind of have, I'd love to be outside for 45 minutes every day. It's sometimes winter here. And so that doesn't happen and it's okay. Um, I take that as nature is giving me a little bit of a space from that. Um, so I do something else and I do it inside. Um, so I think that where we want to ideally get is exactly where you said, where we can do movement, And we can have exercise programs where we're actually connecting to our body and listening to our body. But the process of interpreting what our body has to say, first is understanding where you've been, how you've got here. And then the message of listen to your body doesn't mean push it, discipline it, whip it into shape, count it. It means recognizing when you're tired it means recognizing when you have stress or when you need to drink water or when you need to be gentle or when you actually have the capacity to do more and that stuff's going to change from day to day week to week season to season year to year there are things that go on in people's lives where we just don't have the same capacities and we have different stress levels in the body So that when the weather changes, that's stressful on our body. There's humidity shifts. There's what we ate the day before. There's actual stressors that come up from our family, our relationships, our work, etc. And so honoring what some of those are. But that's not something that typically when we're coming out of you know, I think back to my twenties and I'm like 98% of my movement was done in formalized exercise classes with really loud kind of techno music, lots of spandex, strobe lights, and how could I even listen to my body? Like all that I could hear was, was thumping music. So just taking one step towards, I, I like, I really like adding things in to kind of crowd out some of the Some of the other stuff. So it doesn't mean that you have to stop your spin classes. You might be somebody who always wants to do those. But what can you add in? They can give you some information. What can you add in that's movement that isn't a structured exercise program?
0: Yeah, I love that. And it really does boil back down to that, you know, mind-body connection and learning to listen to it. And really the only way that you can learn to listen to it is to minimize those distractions and just be with yourself and and being willing to hear what your body has to say <laughs> instead of railroading it into submission <laughs> Um Janice, this has been such a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for coming on and chatting about this. Um, if somebody wanted to connect with you, where can they find you? My business name is My Body MyBodyCouture,
1: which is three words. My, M-Y, Body, B-O-D-Y, Couture, C-O-U-T-U-R-E. And I am at the dot com and I, on any social media platform where I'm active other than LinkedIn, which is under my first name and last name, um, you'll find me at MyBodyCouture. So if you don't find me popping up under my body couture, there's a chance I'm not there. But if you do find me, you're welcome to just send me a message, connect with me, follow me, etc.
0: Beautiful. Thank you so much. And we'll make sure to include all of your links in the show notes. So if you are trying to hunt them down, check there. Um, any closing thoughts before we sign off for the day? I think that the, the capacity... For us to
1: have movement in our life that feels good is such a gift. Our human bodies were meant to move. We were meant to enjoy our lives through our bodies. So the fact that movement can feel good I think felt like a bit of a revolution to me. And I'm hopeful that, that at least one other person listening can kind of take a step somewhere on that path and discover that for themselves and it really is it really feels to me the same way that you know I actually remember riding my bike as a kid in the sun I had my George Michael cassette on <laughs> it just brings that back to my mind that that kind of joy of Not thinking about my body shape, not thinking about my body dimensions, not thinking about my body weight. I can assure you that at that age in my life, I wasn't thinking about calories or what I was burning or what I was doing. I was just in the sun, moving my body, listening to some some music and really enjoying what it is to actually be part of the human, uh, to have that human experience. And so I'm really hopeful that somebody who's listening can kind of take a nugget or two and start to move somewhere on that path because it really sucks now that I kind of like look backwards into my twenties and I'm like that was crappy. Like I would have told you that I loved working out and I loved all of that. And and obviously some part of me did. But it just is crappy. You know, I spent my twenties in a gym listening to loud music, pushing myself, getting yelled at by instructors. And have, and deciding that half of it didn't count and what was good and what was bad. And my whole moral capacity was was basically if I push hard enough and if I burned enough calories and if I lost an inch or whatever,
0: that's no way to live. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Move because your body wants it, because it feels yeah. good. It's not supposed mm-hmm. to be something that adds a bunch of stress to your mm-hmm. life. <laughs> if it's causing you anxiety and stress, it's time to take a look at your habits and and get back to, I love the idea of getting back to like your childhood of what made you feel good as a kid running around. And, you know, for me, it was always like, I was always, we always had a dog. I was, you know, walking the dog or playing with the dog out in the fields. And we lived in England and, you know, it was just this, this beautiful romantic thing and just wandering around, checking things out. And to this day, walking and Hiking and playing with my dog are my favorite <laughs> forms of movement. Yeah, and I think actually
1: that's a really great point because there's a, there's a high point that there's a high chance that if you can think of at least one memory from your childhood when you enjoyed your body, some people can't and that's okay. But if you are somebody who can think of at least one, you probably still like that thing. And that might actually mean going out to a playground or it might mean finding something that is kind of a bit childlike, like fly a kite or pop a balloon or something else that you'd like to do. But if you can envision that moment and kind of sit with how that felt in your body and then go
0: try that thing again,
1: that's 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 the greatest single thing that you could get out of this podcast. Mm.
0: And report back if you do go decide to play and do something fun. We would love to hear about your experience. Thank you so much and be well. Thank you for tuning in to the Anti-Diet Life podcast. If you have questions, feedback, or something that really resonated with you from today's episode, I would love to hear from you. Connect with me on Instagram. My handle is at Anti-Diet Health Coach your insights and experiences are incredibly valuable and they could shape our future episodes. If you liked what you heard today, we also appreciate you sharing, liking, and subscribing to help us reach more listeners just like you. Remember your voice matters in this movement towards a more balanced diet neutral approach to wellness. So reach out, share your thoughts. Let's keep this conversation going. Until next time, stay liberated, stay healthy, and keep living the anti-diet life.